Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. All right, we back at it. Homegrown Radio, Chuck Dizzle, DJ Head. West Coast. In the building with us right now, man. We used to know him as Mystery Matt. Uh, now there's nothing <laughs> mysterious about him, man. Uh, artist, uh, uh, a manager, attorney, and I'm pretty sure we're gonna get a lot more gems from this guy right here, man. We got Matt Lou in the building with us right now, man. What's going on, bro? What's up, guys? Thank you for having me. Hey, Matt. Listen, first and foremost, you gotta respect this man's mind. One of the most smart, one of the most, one of the most brilliant minds that I know. Okay, I don't take that. I don't take that like because I respect intellect. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Matt has given me so many great financial gems. And he so graciously wanted to come and share that with our listeners and our platform mm -hmm. and people that tap in. So if you got, if you're listening to this on the podcast, if you're watching on YouTube, now's the time to get your notepad out because it's going to go there. Absolutely. Now, I do want to get to the road and the journey of Matt real quick, man. Kind of give him a brief introduction. Obviously, we said who you are, uh, but how we know you and then, you know, this, this road to where you're at right now. If you can give kind of like a brief introduction and all that, bro. Yeah, for sure. No, I appreciate it, Head. Um... I initially started doing finance uh, probably 10 or 12 years ago. So I was working in finance for about nine years, worked on a trading floor for two years and kind of got an education. Trading on, floor tr tr so I, in Wall Street. Wall Street, yeah. So like I kind of got an education on how to invest in stocks and different companies. And I learned how like investment analysts, you know, analyze companies from an investment standpoint to, to determine like, oh, this makes sense. This doesn't. Um, I did that for quite some time. Then I kind of ended up on the legal side of things, working for a large investment firm. Um, and my legal background was kind of mixed. It was like securities law, finance, and also family law. So I kind of like dabbled in both. But then over time, over the last like 10 years, I got just maxed out, got tired, burnt out, and I wanted to do something else that I really enjoyed. So I ended up switching over, kind of dabbled in a little bit of entertainment, doing some music contracts. Um, and that kind of led me to my passion to be like, you know what? I really enjoy music. I, I like working with young artists. Um, so rather than just, you know, doing contracts and giving counsel, I was like, I want to do like step into the management role and see if I like it. And I, I've been doing that now for like five years and I, I enjoy that probably more than anything I've ever done. Now, what, okay. So what was this a passion of yours prior or did you discover it after doing the finance and, and, and stepping away from it that you realized, like, no, I really do like this. Or was this something that you, were passionate about before, but said, you know what I want to, I got to get the nine to five. I got to get the degree, got to get the job and stepped into that early. Yeah, for sure. That's a good question. I, um, I definitely did the nine to five and went, you know, went to school, then went to law <laughs> school because I felt like I had family pressure. Everyone in my family was a lawyer. Right. So I was like, I got to satisfy my mom and dad. Got to check the box. Um, but all my friends were in entertainment. Now they were making a lot less money at the time, but they all had better schedules. They were happier on the weekends. And so you're like, why is everybody smiling? <laughs> they were happier on everybody the smiling for me. <laughs> like for me, like my weekends were literally, I was sleeping the whole time. Oh, damn. So I wanted to like catch up and be like, I want to have quality of life. So I ended up switching over and I made the decision. Just, I jumped and was like, you know what, I'm going to try this out. And I think I had exposure from friends mm -hmm. and that kind of gave me confidence that I was like, 
had a couple of big friends at the time who were managing really big artists. And they were like, man, you could do this. You just got to really start from the bottom if you're comfortable with that and really learn the industry. And if you, you're willing to put in the work over time, you can, you can get there. So I, I just was like, I'm gonna bet on myself and start over essentially. And that's what I did. Now you, you, you took the bar. Yeah. Is it hard? Man, it's hard. It, like, is, it is like, it's, it, cause when you told me you passed the bar, like I remember when we had that conversation that you passed the bar before you made it sound like it was like a, a sixth grade math test. Like, yeah, I mean, look, the, the California bar is definitely the hardest test legally in the country. It's harder than New York. It's the hardest state to pass. When I took it, the test was three days. Nowadays, it's two days. So it is a little bit easier in terms of like the duration. But anyone who's out there listening and if you're studying and you're in law school and you're taking the bar exam, I'm not saying it's easy now. It's not. But um, it was a little bit tougher because by the third day, you're so fatigued mm. and it's eight hours every day and they're, they're testing a different part of your mind. So, um, you Did know, you pass them on the first try? I passed on the first try, but wow. only because... I literally made the decision. I was like, I'm not taking this test twice. I'm not doing this again. I'm not sure, doing it again. I'm sure a lot of people walk in with the same, like, yeah, I'm not doing this again. And they don't pass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's possible. I'm sure a lot of people do. But I literally, like, you know, my wife knows I, I was doing like 14 hours every day for like three months. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm going to pass this exam. And if I don't, I really got to question whether I'm going to take it again. Because I, I didn't think I was going to if I failed. But the thing is, like, okay. People, like my mom, right? My mom went and got a bachelor's degree, and she got a master's degree, and ended up working in a job that doesn't use her degree at all. For sure. This motherfucker went to Long Beach State mm -hmm. and got, you know, whatever that is. What got you mean, that whatever that is? <laughs> <laughs> that's, no, that's a good school. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't come on, man. You got, a, you got a degree from Long Beach State. Yeah, I got a what? psychology degree. A psychology degree. Yeah. And yep. he's doing radio with me. No, but see, no. <laughs> look. So, look, my, I, no, let me, let me defend myself real quick. <laughs> Because I wanted to do, like, the radio program, but they didn't have it set up. It was through journalism. I'm like, I don't want to be, like, I don't want to go that route. So I said psychology because, you know, I love talking to people. I love analyzing people. I love, love talking to people, like, to, you know, break down why they do certain things. So it, it helps me out with that. Okay, but you're so, right. But in, in terms of, like, the technical aspect of it, it's like, oh, you can kind of develop these skills. got a psychology degree right. and ended up in his apartment doing internet radio with me. Right. I did it at the school first. So many So people, it did help in a sense. Shut your ass I'm just up. letting you know. So many people Shit. go and get regular ass degrees yeah. and then I'm doing something completely different. You went and took the bar exam, a yeah. three day exam, and you in the, you want to fucking fuck around in the music business. Like what's yeah. the mentality behind that? Yeah, no, I think a lot of people do that though, right? Like you it's almost like you gotta try things in order to in the real world to figure out if you like it. So on paper, being a lawyer sounds Sounds great. Like everyone wants to give you props for it. They're, they think you make a lot of money, but when you're actually in practice doing it mm -hmm. um, and you're pushing paper and you're, you're working 16 hours a day and you don't have a life, it's not sexy anymore and you want to do something else. So um, I, I needed to do something where I was like, my I needed to find something where I was like, my background is going to, you know, be applicable to something I'm doing. And so even though I manage artists, I do a lot of their legal agreements. I look over mm -hmm. contracts and business. So I'm able to do like a hybrid approach where, I want it to make sense for my artists. And so I tell them, hey, if you have a, if we have a brand deal or we're about to take on a recording contract or a recording agreement, yeah, I'll pass it on to your attorney, but I'm going to look at it as well. So before it gets to them, I can redline and I can kind of outline what we're messing with and what we're not. So it's not a complete waste and it's helped me in life and in business, but you're right, 100%. Like I didn't have to go to law school <laughs> or become a lawyer to do what I'm doing now. Hold on one second. The, um, Quick question, because I've always wanted to know this. How much do, do lawyers make? 
it, like, it, like yeah. low, 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 all the way up. So this will shock you. Everyone out there, a lot of people are like, oh, doctors, lawyers. I want to be a doctor, lawyer when you're younger. So this is going to shatter your expectations, women, especially if you're out there dating a lawyer you want to. <laughs> Some lawyers out there make 40 grand a year. Woo, okay? Really? Yes. It depends on the type of law you do, but the really uh-huh. low I'm level. Yeah, what, 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 I need to know what, what's the, what's the, what's, what's the month. What's, what's the month, month? Matt? It's, it's very little. <laughs> How so, much is that a month? What's, it's less than 4000 In L.A., you're struggling. Yeah. Damn. So there are some lawyers that are making 40, 50, depending if you're doing public interest law or something like that. If you're doing something where you're doing pro bono work for sure, obviously you're not getting paid. But on the high end, there are some lawyers, the really, really talented defense lawyers, or if you're doing securities law, which is finance, or if you're doing certain types of litigation, you're, you can be millions. So it's a huge range, but don't put everyone in the same pot because everyone makes a different amount. Now, another, another, sorry, I got to get all this. So the, the other question about being in doing the law thing, right? Yeah, is is it, put some respect on that shit. Doing the law thing, like he didn't no, take it the was ball. Not just, it's not just about terms. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Shut your stupid ass going, up. I'm just yeah. respect. Get it there. Um, within the law, right? Yeah. Because they people always talk about oh, um, you know how when artists go to a record label and they I've heard I've heard several. I'm going to say who it was, but I've heard several artists say this that when you get to the record label, the record label assigns you a, an attorney to work with, but the damn near the record label is pretty much paying the attorney. So is that like malpractice or like, how does that work? So in my experience, I've, we've never had a, a lawyer represent our artists that we didn't want. So we came in with an attorney. The first thing typically a, a label will do if they make you an offer is they'll say, who's your lawyer. Mm-hmm. So the A&R would be like, do you have a lawyer? You say, yes, it gets to the next level. You have conversations about the terms lawyer gets on copy and then you will work with whatever attorney is on the label side in their business affairs department but yeah, we I would never let a, their lawyer represent one of our well, clients. Well, I've heard like big music industry people, like artists, say that they gave them a lawyer to work with, and then they are getting fucked over. It's it's possible because maybe they didn't they went in not having a lawyer, so, so then they, the and label so can assign you a lawyer. If that the label will do their best to be like they'll tell you, oh, we have a lawyer in mind. He's great. He's impartial. He'll 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 lock over the deal for you or look over the deal and lock it in. But. It's very risky. That's to never do. a good idea. Should no, they, it's, should, it, should, they should believe, never do that. Should they believe the, the label if they say something like that? Because let's say I'm walking in I, and I don't have a relationship with the lawyer and the only means to a relationship I have is with somebody that's signing me and, and I feel like has my best interest in mind. What advice would you give to the artists that are walking into those situations that don't necessarily have the relationships with an outside lawyer in that situation? I would 100% say regardless of industry, doesn't matter music or not, never take a lawyer who's assigned to you unless it's from, especially if there's a conflict of interest. So if the label is going to pay you, you shouldn't have or take the attorney that they assign to you. You should always do your due diligence, go out to a family friend, make some phone calls and be like, Hey guys, they could even like, if someone knew you guys, they could easily call you both and be like, Hey, do you guys know a lawyer? You guys would be able to find one for them. They can get on a call with the lawyer, talk it out see if they like them and trust them and then hire them to represent them. But I would never in any industry take on a lawyer that's assigned to, to you. That's really risky. Another lawyer question. You always see people hand somebody a dollar. Like now you're on retainer. Is that real? Is that, is that, is that mean that now once I give you a payment, does that mean now confidentiality, you can't, we, our confidentiality can't be broken. So yeah. So it depends. So let's, let's say one of you guys call me today and you guys have a completely unrelated question. That's outside of music, a criminal question. You guys got into some issues over the weekend. You're like, man, I got Chuck a problem. Killed somebody. Ch- wow. Chuck, yeah, Chuck killed somebody. He's like, man, I'm in, I'm in a lot of trouble. I got to talk to you. The second I take the call and tell you that I'm going to listen to you, I'm bound mm. by confidentiality. 
Without so, money. Without money. Without money. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So like, know. so there, there are times when you have to, as a, as an attorney, um, you know, as long as I'm taking the call in a professional capacity and I'm, you're, you're coming to me for professional advice, I'm not allowed to disclose what if that I just call you know, I'm just venting. I'm like, Hey man, Hey, some shit just went down. I hit somebody on the freeway. Like, yeah, that's not smart. Yeah. So like, <laughs> <laughs> you would have to, you would have to like, tell me like, Hey, I'm in trouble. I need legal counsel. And I'd say, okay, let's, let's hop on a call and I'll talk to you. But if you're just like, at a coffee shop and you're talking and you're at, you know, speaking to an attorney and others overhear the conversation, they can clearly go on and they can tell on you snitch on you or whatever. So you got to be careful with what you say. When is it okay for a lawyer to snitch on their, their client? There's a couple of instances where um, like the rules of professional conduct allow a lawyer to go outside of it. And that would be like, if a, if a lawyer's life or personal safety is in jeopardy or, um, there are certain conflicts that have to be disclosed to the court, mm -hmm. but typically, or if, you know, or if let's say, you know, Chuck comes to me, he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to kill this girl. I would oh. have, I, like, even though it's confidential, someone's life is at risk. He's disclosing it to me. I have an obligation now to notify someone that he's probably mentally not stable and he's going to do something. So mm. there are times when the lawyer has to breach it. It was self-defense. <laughs> <laughs> I was feeling threatened. I'm just throwing some shit out there. Yeah, now, I, I got a question about because the, the thing that's in the news right now, as far as uh, we we see what's happening with Young Thug, YSL, and all that, right? And the the, the courts using lyrics, yeah. you know, of artists, and we see it all the time of artists in, in in these cases. What's your thoughts on that? Can it be done? Should it be done? Yeah, uh, you know, what 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 should artists be looking out for at this point in time? Yeah, I think uh, that's a great question. It it's keeps happening. I think um, the first part of the question, I do think that lyrics. I, I don't think lyrics should be able to be used in court Me because either. I do think that, that artists are like entertainers in general or actors where there are a lot of, as we know, there are a lot of artists that lie in their raps. Facts. So it's entertainment and it should be taken as such. You should be interpreting it as entertainment. Now, the issue that a lot of these kids are having is whether they're active gang members or whatever, they're affiliating with a certain group of people that are, you know, in a in a street gang, which is recognized under the statute of RICO. And so in RICO, you don't have to actually do things or assault someone or shoot someone to get wrapped up in it. If you're a part of an enterprise or, or an organization um, and you're taking your image and perpetuating that, that image to benefit the enterprise or it's interpreted as you're benefiting the organization. Even for entertainment. Even for entertainment. So yeah, that's where it gets really tricky. So if you're financing something on behalf of a gang or if you're giving someone money the, the law allows the court to interpret it as you're helping this enterprise move forward because you're financing things or you're promoting the gang. And so you might not get, get convicted of something, but you're, you'll easily get charged under RICO. Now, I remember, I remember um, reading something where it was up to the judge to determine what's admissible and what's not admissible when it comes to their lyrics. And yeah. the song, that's crazy because yeah. the judges are typically... 90-year-old white dudes who are not tapped in with the culture. They don't know what the fuck a reference point might be. Like, mm -hmm. how is, is that, is that literally just how the law works? Yeah, I mean, the judicial system is not fair. I mean, that's, objectively, it's not a fair system. Um, and if you don't have a good lawyer, unfortunately, like as, as most people know, it doesn't turn out well. So um, you never want it to be left in the hands of a judge to interpret something. Mm. Um, I know, like, I think I recently read that the state of New York is passing a bill to ban the use of lyrics. Yeah. I don't think it's passed, but I know it's being proposed on the floor. 
So hopefully that happens because I think if New York was to pass that, I think California being a liberal state will probably pass a similar law, which will be great because um, I've even, I'm an artist of mine, I won't say who, but we, we had some issues similar on the state RICO side where they were trying to wrap everybody up under an umbrella. And it didn't really matter what each individual person was doing. It was affiliation was enough. Mm. Um, and so they tapped the phones and they did all sorts really? of stuff. Yeah, like my they, phone was tapped actually. So, really? Yeah, for-, for Not 90, calling your yeah. ass. But, um, <laughs> but um, so they can legally, so just, just so I give a clear example. They, I put me and Chuck do a rap song talking about all these crime we commit. Yeah. Based on our lyrics, they can tap our phones. Well, probably wouldn't tap your phones unless you guys were involved in like an, you're in part of a gang. But they, so if we are part of a gang. Okay. Yeah. If you're a part of a gang and you're talking about who you killed in a song, then they, you know, and, and the gang is disruptive and doing things on the street that the police know about. They've been watching you for a while. They'd probably have enough probable cause if they wanted to, to get on the phones and tap Damn. it. That's crazy, bro. So, but but t I'm going to be honest with you. So people who are listening, tapping is rare. They don't, it's, it takes a lot for, for them to tap. So like it's, it's expensive too. It's not cheap for them to, to go through this process. They have to go in front of a judge and make, make a, a, a case for like why they need to tap phones. Cause it's a massive invasion of privacy. Right. So it's not something that the court takes lightly. They only do it if they feel like they've, they've exhausted other measures. They're like, we've been following these guys for two months We've been talking to witnesses. No one will talk. We've been t we've, we arrested three of these guys. None of them will talk. So what they'll do is they'll go to the next measure, which is like, let's get on the phones and let's hear if they're talking about what they've been doing and we can wrap them up that way. But it's not that common, but it, they do it in a lot of drug cases, a lot of murder cases. Um, but those are the two most does, common is drug, drug distribution. Does phone tapping include text messages? Yes. Oh, shit. Anyone out there? This what? Is like, I'm so in this, trouble. So, no, I think I be thinking old school, like yeah. oh, it's just the phone. Like, so, so this is really important for anyone out there that thinks wiretapping. This is very common, mis, you know, misconception. A lot of artists and just people in general, they'll get on Facetime and they'll be like, "Oh, I'm on Facetime. Like, we're good." No, you're not. Wow. So Facetime is not safe. Texting is definitely not safe. Anything you do on Instagram, Facebook, any social media app, don't do it. But what about Signal? A lot of my homies use the Signal app. Don't do it. Okay. All right. Whatever. Anything. Yeah. Listen. Anything that's that's on the phone, they can get. So really? even back back, let's say was it ten, fifteen years ago when they had chirps, the next tales. Yeah. I seen a lot of people, you know, maybe just because the entertainment watching TV, a lot of folks is using chirps versus the actual phone. So this, in those situations, same same thing applied, or or back then had they not caught up to the technology? You know, I point? don't know. That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. I would think that um, they might not have caught on, but I know nowadays the. You know, when I had to, we had to get an attorney and who broke everything down to us about these same questions. He was just like, look, anything on the phone that's, that's tech-based, they're smarter than you. They got Like, wow. they can get. And so a lot of people were like, um, Snapchat was like a big one for a while. Where everyone was like, oh, it disappears. And it was like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> you don't think that they can get that? Like, they're, they're touching it. Yeah. So, wow. um, that's I just good. tell that's people good. to, you know, if you're an artist out there and you're, 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 in, you're doing something that's illegal, just be smart about it. Don't talk about it. Um, and... Stay off the phones. Bro, that's fire. All right, man. I know, I know we beat the... the I, I just... We never had nobody like yourself on the show, so I wanted to get all that shit out the way. I want to jump into the finances because that's why you're here. Um, me, personally, you've helped me financially expeditiously, as T.I. would say. All right. I'm about to say, all right, tip. Uh, <laughs> you know, me, when I, when I first wanted to buy a house, when I bought my house, when I refinanced my house, um, what, well, first of all, what made you... 
what made you dive fully into the finance world and leave the kind of like the law shit behind? I found that like, you know, with finance or with finance and just with real estate in investing general, and- I would say that I've realized you can make more money investing and also have like the autonomy where I could hang out, be at home, spend time with friends and still make this similar types of money investing in real estate that I was doing, um, working behind a desk. It just took me a long time to get there because, you know, for being honest, you have to have money to invest in real estate. That's the, the one thing that I can't tell you guys, if you're listening out there, like I want to get in real estate. The one thing you do need is you need capital. You need some money. But what I tell people, if you don't have a lot of money yourself and you want to get into real estate, the best thing you could possibly do is to team up with a friend of yours that you trust deeply close family member, maybe your dad, your mom, somebody that's willing to give you an opportunity, pull your money together and then go to a market out of state, not in California, because it's very expensive to buy real estate here. Property taxes are high, insurance is high. So you'll want to go to a more affordable state, like like maybe something in Arizona, maybe something in Texas, something in the South. Um, there are a lot of opportunities out there. You guys can buy a duplex or a triplex, start small. And you kind of learn the, the game of investing. You, you buy some real estate, you rent it out so that your mortgage is now being paid for by another tenant. And as time, it will appreciate in value because historically real estate value goes up. And then, you know, what Head was talking about is if the real estate goes up enough, you'll have an opportunity to go back to the bank that made you that original loan and you can do what's called a cash out refinance. That's what I didn't know about. I didn't know about that. I knew about refinancing because the, the broke mentality is, as we talked about before, the broke mentality is you buy a house, and then you refinance the house so you get a lower interest rate and your mortgage is lower. But the question that he asked me when I called him was like, yo, can you afford to pay your bill? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, don't do a refinance just to save money. Do a cash out refi. So what that is, or if you want to explain what that is, how do you do Yeah, it? so essentially a cash out refinance is if you have a loan on your mortgage, you have a mortgage, that's essentially a loan for those who don't know. Um what you do is when that your the value of your home has gone up over a period of time, let's say the house has gone up. This is just for numbers sake, for an example. Let's say the house has gone up $100,000 since you've owned it. You can then go back to the bank and you can ask them to add the 100000 onto your existing loan. Mm. They will give you that $100,000 in cash. And you can then take that $100,000 and do whatever you want with it. There's no stipulations to it. You can do whatever. And what I tell people Rather than selling a house or doing any of those things to, to make money, you can refinance. So take that 100000 and then go buy another piece of real estate with it. And so now, rather than owning one house, now you own two homes that are both appreciating in value over time if you're holding it, which is what I tell people to do. And you can rinse and repeat that process multiple times. Um, and one of the ways you can ensure, a lot of people say, well, how do I know the house is going to go up in value? You can kind of control that, even in a down market. You can take money and you can put in new flooring, new kitchens, new bathrooms. You can repaint everything. You can put in new landscaping in the front and maintain the property. So you'll be able to raise rent because tenants, as we all know, living in LA, want to live in a nice place. And if you make the place nice enough, you're going to have high rent. High rent on paper looks good to banks and it lowers their risk because they're like, these units are always being rented. Um, There's no vacancies. And if we needed to sell this property to get our money back, we could because they put money into this and they've made it nicer. So their risk is now lower, so they're more comfortable loaning you money, and now you're in a position where you can use that money to make yourself richer. You got the leverage at that point. As far as, uh, you mentioned something as far as saying having, got to have money to, to to start this off, right? So low level, somebody that's just listening right now, what what idea as far as how much money should they be looking at 
starting off when it comes to real estate or investing, things of that nature? Yeah, it's a good question and it's hard to answer. It really depends on a couple of things. It depends on, again, like, are they alone? Do they have a partner with them? Um, I'm well, alone. You're, if you're alone and this is the, the quickest answer to that is I would say, depending on what market you're looking in and you're trying to get into real estate, I would say that you'd want to have 25% of the value of the home in cash. Okay. So whatever that number is, you'd have to divide, you'd have to multiply 25 by the, the value of whatever the home is being sold for or the so multi houses. Hence why you want to go to the, the markets that are, that have lower value. So if you, if, if you're not working with that much money, you go with the, the ones that have the lower value. Yeah. You want to start. In a, and now when I say Mark, you want to go into another market that's cheaper. I'm not saying going into a market that's not making money. You'd be surprised. A lot of these markets that are cheaper, they have better returns. Mm. So I found Arizona and Phoenix. And I got into Phoenix about, I started in 2013. At the time, it was one of the worst housing markets in the whole country. It wasn't even in the top 40. Um, they were actually selling homes after the housing crash. You could buy a home there for $40,000. Um, Damn. And so... So you, if the home was $40,000... You would need $8,000 to have 20% down. Word. Now, if you do it with a partner, it's $4,000 a piece. It's no money. Now you own a house. We, and that's what, exactly what my partner and I did. The first thing we did is we bought a house that we knew nothing about real estate. <laughs> and I mean nothing. We just were like, we were driving. I was coming home from a bachelor party and my I saw a for sale sign in the front yard and it said $40,000 for sale. And I told my boy who was driving, hey, I said, hey, pull over. He's like, why? And I said, just pull over. And I went to the, fr the front of the house, knocked on the door, asked the lady, hey, is, is this house for sale? Is that 40,000 or 400,000? She said, it's 40,000, why? And I was like, oh, never mind." I got back in the car and I told my boy, I was like, listen, I know nothing about real estate, but if these are the prices out here, we should, we need to be here. That's all mm. I know. And so we immediately flew home. And the next two weeks we talked about, like we, we educated on what the market was doing and why didn't people want to buy it? Why were the homes so cheap? And we did, made it a conscious decision that we were going to invest in Phoenix only. Um, has one of the lowest property taxes in, this, in the country. Insurance is incredibly cheap. And so we knew our overhead was low. And over time, Phoenix has now become a hot market. It's the number one housing market in the country today. So you jumped in right before all that shit kicked off. I had about eight years right before it became number one. Wow. So we, we've been able, we were like, we beat it. We got lucky. Um, but there's other markets out there where you can, we can do these similar things. So I tell people, don't get caught up in wanting to buy in New York and Seattle and Denver and LA or San Francisco where it doesn't make sense. You can start in other markets, learn the markets. And then if you want to invest in LA, Eventually, one day you can. But yeah, but that's an investment uh, viewpoint. If 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 Chuck got a family, he got a wife and a kid. Yeah, he's looking to buy a house to live. What what does that look like? So I always say this, and this is something that's not popular, and some of the people listening won't like it. When you buy a house and you're living in that house, I don't view your your personal home as an investment. Because gotcha. and the reason why is because you're spending money to live there. Right. You have a mortgage, you have insurance, you have to maintain it, you have to pay property taxes. Those are expenses coming out of your pocket every single year uh, just for you to sleep there. And so if you're going to make money on your house living in LA, which you probably will, because we all know home prices here are crazy and they've gone up, that's great. But don't expect your house to be your investment. Look at investments as things that are cash flowing for you, where you're buying something that every single month can be treated like an ATM machine. That's mm. That qualifies as a true investment. So if you own something and you're not living there, but you're renting it out, that's an investment. Right. Um, and you, and some of the richest people in the world are guys that they swear by the investment multifamily 
like process mm. and it takes 10 or 12 or 15 years, but it'll get to the point where you have so many doors. And when I say doors, I could be just a unit. Yeah. You have 70, 80, 90, a hundred doors one day. You're not working because your, your rental income is so high that you're, you're in, you can do whatever you want. You could have a job, but you don't have to. When you, when you buy a house to live in, like, like what I did, right. How do you then transition that house to cash flow for you? Do you have to move out and rent it out? Yeah, you could do one of two things. You could completely move out and rent out the house, and then you could maybe build something in the backyard. Really common. I know in Inglewood, the city is actually rewarding people that are building units in the backyard. You have to go through the, there's like a process where you have to go through this permit process, but they're encouraging people to do it because they know the cost of living is so high. So if you have tenants in the front of the house and then you move tenants in the back of the house into a garage and you put it in like a functional studio, that'd be a great way. Or maybe you live in the front of the house and then you rent it out the back. So now it's half and half. You're having your mortgage being helped because you have someone else that's helping income. you income coming in where it's not all on you every single month, which is great. So if, if people are in a situation where again, they trying to dive into the market, they're trying to just get a home like to, to live in and they sign up for a first time home buyers program, you you're not able to then rent your property out. Right. Yeah, no, there's, so there's requirements. It's a really good question. Um, if you're doing like a certain, like a first time home buyer, like you said, I did an FHA, you would have, there's requirements. You're like, Hey, this is not an investment property. This is actually a home that you're going to be living in. And the reason they do that is because they're giving you certain benefits, um, that are helpful for lower income or people that are, they want to reward people for their first home. So, um, you would have to, you know, live there and you're, there's really no way around that. Um, but I just tell people, especially now with interest rates being as high as they are, the interest rates on homes is the highest they've been in over a decade. Um, the only benefit of the fact that interest rates are high now is that home prices you'll start to see will slowly start to come down because borrowers are going to be less likely to want to borrow the money with higher rates. So what that does is it lowers the demand a little bit. And so prices are going to start to come down in the next probably year or two years. When you rent, when you're renting, what what should you like? Okay. Like what Chuck was saying, as far as the regular average person, I got a nine to five. People always telling me I should buy a house. I was just telling a friend of mine this, and she was like, she's renting an apartment in Orange County. And I'm like, bro, for that that apartment you're renting in Orange County, you could pay a mortgage, mm-hmm. just go a little bit further out. So if I'm if I'm paying rent in LA, my rent is $2,000 a month, right? Or my rent is $2,500 a month, which is not like astronomical to think, especially for a single family or whatever. Um, should somebody be trying to think about buying as opposed to renting or are people smarter for renting? Cause I, you know, those people who are anti buyers. Sure. Yeah. It's a really, it's a tough question and it's really a personal question. There's no right or wrong. I rented myself despite owning multiple multifamily apartment buildings. So I've rented for years here in LA because for me, I was like, my justification was it's expensive to own here too. So, you know, a mortgage is expensive in LA and then you have to account for all the extra costs that you're not paying for when you rent. When you nice. rent, your landlord is handling it. That. Yeah. So if something breaks in the house, guess what? You don't care. It's like the landlord's responsibility. But when you're a homeowner, if the chimney falls or breaks or you have some, an issue with the pipes or the plumbing, it could be eight grand. So mm-hmm. you have to ask yourself, yeah, I, it sounds good on paper and, I, and to being a homeowner, but do you want to, do you have enough money to be, and is it responsible for you to, to take on that burden financially? And so that's a question that you can only ask yourself. If you are, I would tell you to become a homeowner because I think over time it's the fastest way to build wealth and create financial security, but don't do it unless you really have enough money to get you through all of those type of issues that could happen. 
I remember you, when I hit you one time, and I was like, I was like, I want to invest with you. You was like, you need more money. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, that's I nice. told him, I told him I had yeah. some money. He said it wasn't like it wasn't a lot at all. I was like, yo, hey Matt, look, I got, I got, you know, got I, this. I got a little bonus. <laughs> he was like, yeah, you need more money, bro. Like, call me when you got. It was hey, like but, ten times what I called him when I'm like, bro, I don't know what I'm gonna do. So I'm gonna come back to the real estate. But yeah. if somebody wants to get into investing, how can they like? What's some low-level investment things that people can do to get start to start? Yeah, so on the topic of real estate, like I'm saying, um, I would I would again look for markets that are really low in like affordable markets. Sing, maybe you can start single family because it tends to be cheaper. It's a lot cheaper than buying a duplex. Um, you can also look online for foreclosures, and you can look online for banks that are seizing properties and they're you know essentially like giving the property away. And or you could take on a uh, you know a property that's distressed. Meaning it's a fixer upper. It's a complete fixer upper. Mm-hmm. It's on the market now. Those those homes are very competitive because everyone wants to get in now because it's cheap, but it's not easy. You're just going to have to do your due diligence, find a home that's in your price range, and try to get in. And then I, you know, the best thing you can do is once you're in and you own a house or you own a property and you're looking to invest, is you're going to learn as you go through the process. You're going to learn because it's it's a process, right? When you buy a home. It's, it's from, from day one, you're having to, to learn what the bank requires of you, which is a whole process. There's lending requirements. So you have to qualify on paper. Um, you have to earn a certain income. You have to show that you have a steady job. You can't just buy a house. Right. So, you know, I, I know, Head, you've had a couple of friends reach out to me and they've had all the things in order and all the ducks, but some of them have said, hey, like I'm working part-time right now. And I told them straight up, like, that's going to be an issue. The bank is going to, they only value you on paper based on what you're earning and they want to have consistency. They want predictability. Mm-hmm. So if you've worked at a job for 10 years, you're much more likely to be able to convince a bank to give you money than someone who's part-time or like maybe they work for two years and they haven't had a job in a year. The gaps are hard to justify for a bank. Mm-hmm. So you got to get over those hurdles first and then you're able to jump into the market and you'll learn though how to, how to work with the bank and what they're requiring. And if you Get that type of experience. You'll the second time you purchase, it'll be easy. How important is credit to this whole process? Because you know, people that look like us, our mom's been putting shit in our name <laughs> since we was kids. <laughs> and um, like, how important is credit to this process? What what's the credit score that you wanna that you what like? What's the minimum credit score that people are looking for? That type of thing. Yeah, credit's important. I mean, uh, you, you're again. Imagine the process. You, uh, you have to look at it as if a bank is going to loan you a large sum of money or $200,000 or $500,000, you wouldn't yourself loan anyone money that you think has the ability to pay you back. Right. And one of the measures and the metrics of which they determine if you're able to do that is if you have a good credit score. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the credit score on paper shows that you're responsible on paying off your debt and your bills, whether it's credit cards, car payments, whatever. So you're more likely you have a behavioral pattern of consistency of paying things off. So I would say, you know, you want to be as high as possible. You want to be high sixes, mid sixes, sevens, um, and you'll be fine. If what, you're what, if you're low, if you're really low, if you're in the fives and fours and stuff like that, you're going to have some issues. They're definitely going to push back, and they're going to. They, it's not that they wouldn't work with you. They'll tell you to raise your credit score, or they might just say, "Hey, like this is too low right now. We're going to have a really hard time green lighting this." So, um, you know, we can't underwrite it at the moment, but let's get your credit score up and maybe come back in, you know, a few months or whatever, and. Let's reevaluate it then. Our trade lines, because I know people be selling. Okay, it's two things. Because I people are out here. You see it when you get off the freeway. We'll fix your credit. 
call us now, right? Mm-hmm. Is is fixing credit is that legal? Is that a real thing? And then two, when people add you to their credit cards or trade lines or whatever that thing is called, is that is that legit? I'm not familiar with the trade lines thing, but it is it is legit um, when you go through a legit organization or person who tries to help increase your credit score. I know personally, I had an issue where for me, I have really good credit, but I had an instance where a medical bill got missed and it was super small. The balance was like less than a hundred dollars, but wow. it actually went to collections because, wow. I, because I missed it. And so that's why credit history is so important too. When you don't make those payments on time, that's the biggest thing that you get. It's the for. biggest thing. And mm-hmm. so they had been reaching out to me, but they, I had moved. So they had been reaching out of my old address and it went to collections, but because it goes to collections, they docked my credit score 150 points. Are you serious? Yeah, and it was a big deal. It was a big knock. So I'm looking at my credit report, and my <laughs> hey! and my and my my banker was like, "You got? I don't know what you did, but you got a big ding on your credit report." And I was like, "Wait, why?" And I looked through it, and I was like, "This is an $89 bill." Are you serious? Oh, you and, were hot, huh? Oh yeah, I was, bro. I was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> so I was on the phone like for hours that morning, just giving giving it to everybody. And so I ended up calling the the insurance company that created this issue, and they ended up they had to send a, a letter to the credit bureau. Uh, I was like Experian or TransUnion, one of them, and um, it's still on my report that I missed the payment, but it was like. They're saying they tried to explain it as a misunderstanding. I still am having to work to get the credit up. Are you serious? Yeah. So it's it's for those out there that are missing payments. If you really want to make money and you're talking about being wealthy one day and you're like, oh, fuck that cell phone bill or whatever. Nah, don't do am, I, am I allowed to cuss? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, then uh, you you want to be really careful doing that. Yeah. So um, you know, just the best thing you can do is if you can't make the full payments, just make minimum payments on time, and that's enough to keep you in the game. But a, a trick on making your credit score go even higher is if you have a bill come in and you have the funds, pay it off in full. Is um, student, what about student credit cards and student loans? Because that's like a big thing, especially for us. Like we working with, well, hey man, Tosh still got some credit. Some uh, his, his wife and yeah. my mom, bro. My mom, I don't even want to say the number that she got in student loans. Yeah. Um, making those minimum payments. I heard. Well, it's. A, I don't know if it's a myth or not, but. The student loans and the medical bill, which you just expunged, are not used against your credit score. Yeah. That, that's a lie or is that true? Well, it's clearly a lie because it affected me. Um, but I do think that I did read recently that they are working on something where your medical bills will not count against you because it's like, you know, there are situations where we all probably know people who have suffered ailments and they've been in the hospital beyond their control and their medical bills are a million dollars, right? How is someone actually going to pay that off? You can't legitimately dock someone who can't make those payments. So I think the state and the government is actually understanding that, A, we shouldn't be docking someone on preventing them from buying a home because they were put into a medical condition that prevented them from paying it. So I think in that sense, it's going to get better. But for me, I don't know why the insurance Maybe it was because I had insurance and I didn't pay it, and they thought that I should have. Maybe that was the reason, but um, I do. Th- I don't know. I don't think that's true. I'm pretty sure you have to make all payments. Damn. Uh, I do want to talk about these few things when it comes to investing. Um, obviously, stocks are up there. People do that. Yeah, do yeah. That, right. Uh, you have crypto that's out there, and then you have uh, forex, foreign foreign exchange change, uh, foreign exchange trading. Yeah. Where do you rank? The three of those, like if somebody's trying to get in, would you recommend them say, would it be stocks, crypto, uh, Forex, Forex, or does it matter? Like, what's your your, your mindset on that? 
I think it depends on your financial goals. So, and what your risk aversion is. So if you're, if you're a risky investor and you're trying to flip money, Forex, that's how you make a lot of money quickly. The risk is incredibly high. The reward is even higher. So, um, you know, I know a lot of people that are, you know, they're willing to take that risk and they want to flip $1,500 real quick. And so they'll do Forex. They might lose it all, but, if, but if you hit, then you're yeah, up, right. you're, you're up. So, you know, in that sense, you got to account for like, are you really prepared to put it on black essentially and go to Vegas and let it ride? If you're looking for more conservative investing and being stable, obviously stocks would be there than crypto, than Forex. So that's the order. That's the order. Stocks is going to be more conservative. It's protected. It's, it's, you could still lose all your money in stocks too, if you don't know what you're doing, but, um, stocks is, it's much less volatile than crypto. As we can see, crypto is down now over like 40%, 50% for the year. Um, a lot of people lost a lot of money. I would advise you if you own crypto, do not sell right now. Okay. Just, just hold it. Um, there's no point in selling because you haven't taken a loss until you sell. So Mm. just hold it. Um, no matter which crypto it is, don't matter what crypto. Well, it does matter. Like if you got that Doge coin, if you're holding certain coins, you took an L a long time ago. Yeah. So, <laughs> which coins are, are are the right coins? I mean, look, which I, crypto is the right crypto that you would recommend? They're the coins that I personally like, and this is just a preference. Is I like obviously like Bitcoin because it's it's like the Coca Cola. It's not going anywhere, despite what people think. Um, Ethereum is a is a great option, um, and then I like Solana. I like. I don't even know what that one is. I like Polygon. I don't know what that one is either. Um, and I like Cardano. And those are the five that I would say I spend the majority of my time in. And that's not to say there aren't other great coins. There are, and I've, I've dabbled here and there, but those are the five that I find myself coming back to. And I think like in three to four years, they'll they'll do okay. And it's still like, like, like with stocks and what I tell people, I mean, I'm no expert, but I, the, the few people that I have told, I'm like, it's a long-term thing. Don't look in, in the short term. Don't think about, oh, let me try to get this quick flip. Because like you said, you could lose a lot of money real fast. 100%. So what, what you just said is everything. So with stocks, I tell people, invest with a 10 to 15-year like horizon. So, And the other thing I would tell people is don't invest in individual stocks. You can do that if you know something that others don't know. Or let's say you're a consumer of that. Like For example. I love if, Tesla. Tess, yeah, Head loves Tesla. So he knows, he reads about it. He knows what's going on. He follows Elon Musk closely. It might make sense for him to invest in Tesla because he's on top of everything that they're doing so he can make reasonable decisions on when to buy, when to sell. Right. But if you're not really tapping in like that every single day reading about a company, you don't want to be investing in it individually because if there's a managerial change or the company engages in something illegal or does something stupid, you're losing your money. So what I tell people, the safe thing to do is to invest in a, when they say, yeah, you hear this a lot, diversify your portfolio. What, right. what that means is own a variety of different types of companies and stocks and own more than five. Try to own like an index of funds where it's, you know, you can invest actually in an index, which is literally a list of companies that you own. They're all in different sectors. And the reason for that is if one of the companies doesn't perform well and gets killed, you're the value of your stock is still up because all the other ones are holding you up. Mm. But if you own one or two and one of them underperforms, you could be down heavy. So over 10 to 15 years in stock, you're going to make money because historically, again, just like real estate, it goes up like the biggest billionaires. Like they don't even check their stock like that. They're checking 
every few years and they don't worry about it. They invest for the long term. And if you can't afford a financial advisor, get one and have them invest for you. So the um, companies I worked at, that's what they did. And, and a lot of people just paid them to do it. And it's smart because they, those guys know what they're doing. The, um, how most of us got started, <laughs> most black people I know, black, black and brown people that I know, yeah. started on, we start on, I still have Robin Hood. Yep. Robin Hood was like, it made it easy for people to get into stocks, kind of, whatever. What do you, what's your thoughts on Robin Hood? Or should we be messing with it? Should we switch over to another app? I think Robin Hood is great in the sense of, it's making like investing accessible to everybody, which has historically been a massive problem. So I think Robinhood's dope in that sense, but I think people need to be, again, just be careful with what you're buying and why you're buying. Like if your boy who, you know, is not the smartest guy <laughs> comes to the studio or pulls up on you, he's like, Hey man, you should be investing in such and such question it. Like, like, really? like really? what, like why ask him why? And, and he's like, Oh, like, this lady at the coffee shop told me that I overheard her conversation. It's like, that's a bad reason to invest. Is it rude to ask somebody, let me see your portfolio at that point? Like if, if you're giving me advice and say, man, you should do that. Let me see what you got. Let, let me see your portfolio. <laughs> let me see what. I mean, what, look, there are certain types of etiquette, I guess. Like it depends on the person. If you know them well. <laughs> etiquette. So no, me and you talking. <laughs> well, so index look, funds, some, all this. And I said, well, let me see your portfolio. I don't know what the fuck index fund is. Yeah, let me see your portfolio. <laughs> so this is the thing. Like some people will not want to show you because they're like, I'm basically giving you the blueprint, right? Got you, got you. So that might be an issue. Some people will have a problem with that. Some people won't. Um, but I think, yeah, it's not, if you know the person, I think, I don't think it's that rude. Um, but if you don't know them, I wouldn't ask them that because it's, it's pretty personal. I'm just trying to help people out because, again, what I, what I get from you, and I, and I love that what, you, what you're talking about as far as doing research, figuring things out. And sometimes people don't know what's proper etiquette and not, you know. Yeah. You want to do research based off of people that you know. Like one of the things mm, you were talking true. about. That's true. Um, as far as the, the real estate. You, I'm sure you you picked up the phone. I'm sure you you Googled, you just did your research, but I'm sure that a lot of those were, were personal calls that you made too to get the information. So some people are asking these questions that they don't, they don't know, and it's good to hear, okay, you probably should and probably shouldn't do that or based off your relationship was, was proper or not. So Yeah, and I would say anybody out there who they want to invest but they don't know where to start, obviously you can you can go on YouTube, you can go to the bookstore and you can rent books and read about, you know, how to invest and like, first steps on what to do. But I would also say you can easily call for like places like Fidelity, T. Rowe Price. You can ask what services they offer. Now you don't have to agree and, and sign up to, to work with them, but you can take initial consultation calls and meetings with them and, and pick someone's brain who does know what they're doing. And then that might, you know, put you in the right direction where if you didn't have that conversation, you wouldn't know certain things. And just, just, you know, tell them that you were thinking about becoming a client. They'll take the time to, to speak to you. And those are a great way to, to get more resources and learn as you go. Because without learning and understanding what you're investing in, it's, it doesn't make sense for anybody. You mentioned Bitcoin being like the Coca-Cola. Where are you at on NFT? Is that because I, like, I know hella people losing money in that too now. Yeah, I think like it's NFTs is a space that I've kind of just like sat back and I've watched because I, number one, I, when I first came out, I didn't understand it. And so I never invest in things I don't understand. Mm. And I would ask someone, why do you invest in NFT? And they would tell me the same thing that everyone else is saying. And I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't, what, what, what is it? You know, like, <laughs> it's why? the future. It's yeah. the future. Okay, no, nah, but what, what do you mean? But what is it? <laughs> but it's not enough, right? And so I had a really hard time. And I think like I watch guys like everybody does, like Gary Vee, right? And those type of guys. And they're telling us, hey, NFTs is the future. So I agree that, it, you know, with him, he knows it probably is. But I'm still not comfortable with 
what they are because again, I don't, I don't know enough about them. And so I, I could never justify doing it. But I, I think, um, like anything, I think there's probably a small percentage of NFTs that are going to do really well, but the vast majority that I've seen, they look like just like grabs at quick cash money grabs. It's no different, like, it's no different than, uh, than, than Bitcoin and no different than, than some of the, uh, some of the stocks out there. Like if you don't know what you're investing in or don't know about it, it's like, it could be easy to jump into it. And without the proper research, it can, like you said, fuck your shit. I wanted to ask you about, um, well, I want to, I'm going to go back to remember, remind me to go back to the, uh, the AMC stock, but, uh, oh, you mentioned that, like people cash grabbing, right? Like, so Tor going back to the music industry thing, Tory Lanez dropped an NFT album, essentially incentivizing people to go get it because you own a piece of it and stuff like that. Do you see the music industry kind of going that way or that's a that's a cash grab too? I do. I, I think long-term, like the industry will go that way just because I actually saw an artist do something that was pretty interesting recently where he, um, my understanding is he's dropping a project and he's using the fan base as the label. So they have to, they can buy as many pieces of like, he's dropping a single so they can buy as many singles as they want in exchange for that. They're owning the publishing, the fans wow. are right. So now they have an opportunity to get paid the fans percentage of royalties. Now the royalties that are getting paid can obviously over time accrue if the song performs and does well. So it kind of gives it's, it's, it's incentivizing two things. It's incentivizing behavior on the fact of if you're a true fan, because you're like, number one, I want to support the artist and I want to, and show them and buy, you know, the best way to show support is by purchasing. And in exchange, I'm, if this song goes up, I'll have a chance to actually own publishing and own a percentage of make royalty and I can make some, yeah, maybe you make your money back and the artist treats it as an advance. So rather than the label paying them, they're dropping these drops and the fans are paying them cash for these songs that, are a lot more than what they would traditionally earn on streaming platforms like Spotify making cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. So I think in that sense, the future of music is going to look something like that where fans and artists are working together to create a model where fans and artists both make money together. And I, you know, a lot of people say this, but I think labels are going to have a harder time being involved because essentially right now, the way I see it is large labels are, you know, not always, but a lot of large labels are, are essentially a bank. And they're not doing much more than that um, these days. There are, there are exceptions, but I seen the hold on one second. I seen I seen the the I seen the um, what you're talking about. I saw a service basically go live like a couple years right before the pandemic hit, where there was like labels. Did I tell you about it? I think it was where labels were doing that, where they were crowdsourcing um, engagement from fans mm -hmm. and selling publishing to the fans directly. Right. But what it like, I know about, uh, royalty exchange. I just got put up on royalty exchange where a lot of people don't know. Do you know about royalty mm -hmm. exchange? Mm -hmm. Royalty exchange.com is where you can go and you can literally buy into certain records. You can do that right now. Just, oh, wow. just yourself. Right. And I'm looking on royalty exchange right now. And I see, uh, them franchise boys lean with it, rock with it. You can own a piece of that song for little as $1,000 all the way up to $12,000. $12, and then it's like different song all the way up. Fat Joe and Remy Ma, it's on here for $65,000. You own it for 30 years. And it's royalties on the song, right? That's yeah. a percentage of that? Or That's a percentage okay. of the record. Because whoever owns a percentage, right. they they can do what they want with it. What I'm saying, if I, if I got like 250 right now, I can't. Nah, you can't. No, but there's other songs... But there's other songs on on these various platforms that can do it for the two fifty. Where you can probably go buy a song. You I mean you can probably buy the new PB record or some <laughs> shit like that. Yeah, <laughs> for that. But I'm just saying, like, is that do you see that business model being taken the forefront overall? Yeah, I mean to a degree. That's what I was saying. I, I think um, 
I think fans and artists are going to work together where people are going to have opportunities to buy music and buy ownership into music, like having equity in your favorite artists. I think that's the future. And I think it's already happening. There's some of the largest companies are just buying up catalogs Facts. right now. I mean, you read about it in Rolling Stone and, and Billboard. Um, but I think fans are going to have a more active role in the future, um, having more say over the direction of their favorite artists, especially if they're like up and coming. Now, as an as an, uh, a manager, are these the conversations you're having with your artists? It's like, hey, let's look into what's going on, or did you do you keep the manager hat on and not the finance and investing hat on? Like, or, you know, like I know you said it's a hybrid of both, like in terms yeah. of how you do it. But what are the conversations you're having with your clients? The conversations I'm having with them is mostly management. But when it comes to if we come across an opportunity that I think long term makes sense, or it's like beating people to the to the game. I try to, we will have conversations about, does it make sense for us to do this? Do we want to be first? Is it worthy of being first? Um, and I think if, you know, if a lot of money comes in, we're definitely having conversations about what these artists, I tell them like what I would do with that exact amount. And I help them take the steps to set things up for their families. And, and real estate is one of the primary things that we're doing. I know Mozzie is someone who I've heard about, read about, seen him in interviews. He talks about just like literally blowing a bag on real estate, which is incredibly smart. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's almost like he doesn't even have the money to spend on, he, he has money, but he's not spending it on frivolous items. He, he knows like it's, it makes sense to, 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 to spend it all on one thing because he knows he's going to get it back. So I try to convey that to the artists that I'm working with and, you know, they understand it and I think they appreciate it. It's two people that I, that, um, it's one person, two people that I really respect as far as financially, right? It's, um, well, one of them is Grant Cardone. I really love, but he, Grant Cardone preaches that fact that cash is trash, right? Cash is worthless because it's depreciating more than it's appreciating because of inflation. You're losing, you're losing $10 for every $100 that you save in the bank, right? Mm -hmm. And then I started flipping that mindset when I went out there on Big Boy's Neighborhood and I said that savings accounts are for suckers and... I took a lot of heat for that because as people have been conditioned to save, 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 and not invest their money, right? Um, what's your thoughts on on cash, part one? And then part two is uh, when you do, when you do, damn, what was I going to say? What's your thoughts on cash, right, as far as saving, saving, saving for a rainy day? Like, you know, the rainy day funds sure. and shit like that. Is that smart? Um, well, for your first question, I think, yeah, saving the activity uh, and the exercise of saving is great. It's very important. We all need to do it. You have to be disciplined to take your paycheck and put some aside, but you don't want to just have a, like you said, a bank account where you're just it's sitting in cash for years because it's doing nothing for you and you're losing money. Like you said, with inflation. Yeah. So once you save money, you have to then ex take some time to figure out what you're going to now do with the money so that the money works for you. If money isn't working for you when you're sleeping, then you're losing. So you have to figure out, whether that is stock, whether it's, whether it's crypto, whether it's real estate, whether it's you hire a financial advisor who does a variety of different things and they're, they're, they're investing for you, but you can't let your money just sit. So that's, I agree with you that cash is trash, but it's only trash if you're letting it sit for too long. Mm. Because right now I'm in a situation and a lot of people are investors where cash is on the sideline because no one knows where to put it right now. Because everything, we're all feeling the pressure at the pump, you know, uh, rising interest rates, there's a war in Ukraine, there's supply issues. Macroeconomic is, issues all over the world right now are affecting why inflation is happening. And in addition to the fact that the Fed didn't raise interest rates for a long time. So, you know, we're, we're experiencing a lot of different issues. But I think overall, um, you, you have to save. So, you know, in that sense, I, I would agree with you 100% that people just need to be better at 
thinking about what they're going to do with their money. I know people who have had saving accounts for 30 years and they never pull it out. Really? And, and it's just, it's, it's awful. Our 401k is a good idea. They, they can be good. Yeah. They can be good or cause I, I 401ks are good, but it depends what you, again, what you're investing in. Okay. So yeah. that's the, that's the caveat here is I know, um, I won't say company names, but I know some really great companies where they employ people, they offer 401ks and employees are just trusting that the 401k is, is responsible and doing a good job. But sometimes the, what the company chooses to invest in on behalf of the employees are not the best choices. So you could be making a lot more money doing something else. So the idea of a 401k is really great. And it's, you know, especially if there's a matching program and all those type of things by your employer. But again, it comes down to what you're investing in. Uh, we're going to wrap up in a second, but I want to talk about write-offs. Cause yeah. that's like a big thing when it comes to taxes, especially in hip hop. These, you see these dudes all the time getting beat crazy, going to jail, getting crazy fine, liens on their shit because they didn't pay their taxes. Uh, the most effective way to do tax write-offs or budgeting, anything like that? So the first thing I'll say is to rappers out there, when you say you have a write-off, that does not mean it's free. I want to <laughs> I, I repeat that. It is not free. So a write-off, for those who don't know, essentially all it is, a write-off is a legitimate business expense that lowers your tax liability. So- for example, if you, you know, if you're an artist and you, and you need to, you know, dress in certain clothing for, for music video shoots, those costs for clothes can be used as a write-off. It doesn't mean that they're free. It just means that the income that you've earned during that period or during that year, you can then take the cost of those clothes and subtract it from your income to lower how much taxes you owe. But it doesn't mean that the clothes are essentially free. Got you. Right. So that's first and foremost. So I'm glad you said that because a lot of people they 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 think that when they hear it right off they're like, oh, oh yeah, we running it up. Yeah, getting this house. We doing. I'm, I'm trying everything because in in the name of writing it off in the business. Yeah, and 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 if you have enough legitimate write offs, you can actually get away and not pay anything, which is I think why a lot of you know there's a misconception and a lot of rappers believe that they fall into that category. But in order to do that, you have to have a lot of costs and you're and you have to be making legitimate money to have it be worthwhile mm -hmm. um one of those things is people are buying you know rolls royce colonins and they're buying certain cars that are over six thousand pounds like g-wagons because you can write off the entire thing mm -hmm. so that's a way for you to so really any car over six thousand pounds you can write off the whole car. You can write off the whole so the if whole i car. buy the car and the car costs ninety thousand dollars and it's and it, and it weighs over that i can basically write off ninety thousand dollars yes. as a business expense but it's not free it's not free. <laughs> yes, you can. But the thing is, I think that the tax code also, I, if I'm not mistaken, it's definitely 6,000 pounds, but it's, there are certain cars I think that are listed as well. Gotcha. So it has to be a certain type of vehicle, but yeah, you could write that off. If you made 200,000, you could take the 90 and, and take it off the 200 that you made, which would help you a lot. When you get paid for shows in cash, but you still sign for it, you still get taxed on that money? Yeah. If you're signing for it and there's like paper trails that you earn the income, like those are things that artists get, away, like get in trouble with a lot. Um, cash is really not a whole lot the IRS can do. They don't know that you were paid on it. But if you're if you're getting paid through an agency or like you have a booking agent or something like that, you sign for it. There's like they the agency at the end of the year has to file their taxes on what they paid out. So if you're not reporting it, they are, and there's a mismatch. Mm. Yo, okay, I got a selfish question. As as a father, you know, <laughs> you're a family man. You know, you you, you investing, finance. Uh, you got all this stuff going on. Artist management. How do you find time to balance? It's really hard. I just, um, you know, like you, I, I prioritize, you know, putting the family and the and my my kid first. Mm -hmm. So that takes precedent over everything. Um, and so things, some things just 
I don't do or I don't engage in because I'm like, you know, today I'm going to be with him all day or um, these two days are going to be locked away where I got to spend time. And that's more important than all the other stuff. So it's just trying to prioritize the time and um, some things get missed. Unfortunately, it's not easy. Like, and you also got to sleep. You got to take care of yourself. Like health was something that was a big thing for me. I was like not taking care of my body and I've had issues with it because I'm working too much on things that are stressful. So it's, it's always, I think everybody out there, we're all struggling. We're all trying to find a balance. People just don't talk about it. Yeah. Damn. Uh, you have any stupid purchases that, I mean, you make smart investments. What's the stupidest yeah. thing you probably ever put your money in? Well, I recently invested in um, a weed company that um, I thought was a great investment, but they, you know, they literally just did a bunch of illegal things and they were money laundering money and all oh, sorts wow. of things. So my entire investment was wiped away. Oh, shit. So, so it wasn't really a dumb investment yeah. on my part, but it was a dumb investment because, you know, me and my, my buddy, uh, we, we trusted them and we thought they were legitimate, but they weren't and we're suing them now. And how many strikes did you give them? Not many. Like, <laughs> like if you saw my email trail with them, it was pretty aggressive. Like the second thing started not adding up, we were, we were all over them. I was going to say, so the one red flag was like, all right. We'll see what's up. Yeah, second I'm, one's like ah, they're getting sued. Too. Yeah, you know what I mean, and they're getting sued personally. So you know, it's it's an it's a, definitely an issue. But like that one, I think about every day. I saw the homie Victor Ruler say this that that jewelry can be written off as a tax write off as a business expense. Is that true? Yeah, Vic's my guy. It's, it depends. Like I think um, he's not wrong on the promote. I think it's like a promotional side where you can actually write off jewelry if it's if it falls under the promotional category. But personally, you know, you got to remember what what you can technically apply for as a write-off. And then if you get audited, you got to still convince the IRS that it was a legitimate write-off. So you might have a hard time convincing them that a pendant that was $30,000 was a necessary business expense if you're a manager. Or a bust-down. Or, or a bust-down watch or something. If you're an artist, it might be a little bit easier. But I think if the whole team has has jewelry and it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it could be tough, you know. But, like, he's not wrong. But, um, it, it again, it depends. you got to... If you're having to aud get audited, you're gonna have to prove it. You mentioned AMC. Oh, I want yeah, the AMC. When so when going back to the stock conversation. Yeah. When these things go viral, like hey, invest in AMC. I got in and I got I got I made a little bit of money off of it. I was on the radio telling everybody, and then the GameStop thing happened. What the fuck is that? Like, what does that happen? Like, what's going on with the stocks? So when those things happen, it's actually you know you can make a lot of money doing those things because what happens is when everyday people unite and they all talk about the same stock and they all actually decide to take action and purchase, they can control and manipulate the stock upward because mm. it creates a demand. So the stock is naturally- Is gonna, that illegal? I'm about to say, how, no. how is that different than it's, insider trading or something? It's like not that? illegal because it's there's nothing, that, you're, not, you're not trading on any insider information. You're just saying, hey, buy this stock and everyone's doing it because the price keeps going up so they don't want to miss out on the profit. So like what Elon Musk did with Dogecoin. So yeah, what he does is, is technically legal. Wow. So, but the thing is, you just don't want to be late. So like when the AMC conversations happen, if you hear another thing like that come up and everyone's jumping on it, get on early. You'll make some money doing it. Just yeah. don't just get out. Yeah. Get in and get out. Get in and get out. Don't wait because if you if you're like on the fence and you wait like a month or two and then you get in on AMC when it's already had its run, you're gonna you're gonna get pissed because everyone's gonna dump it at some point and then it's gonna the same activity that raised it is gonna lower it because everyone panics and they sell it off. Got you. All right, bet that's legal. That's what's yeah. up. Bro, I I appreciate the gems. I, I to be honest, we we came in here to decide on having one kind of conversation. And it went a lot of different ways, and I'm glad that you 
kind of went there and kind of opened up about a lot of things. And I feel like, you know, not only artists, just people in general are going to get a lot of information out of it. So we appreciate you. Uh, maybe some some artists out there wants to be managed. Maybe some people want some more information. How can they reach out to you? Are you taking on new, uh, new artists? Or- <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everybody in hip hop, we yeah. call it this motherfucker. I, I need the hybrid Say, deal. hey, whatever you're about to say, just know. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm 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 actually trying not to take on clients, um, <laughs> just because uh, just because of like what you talked about, just time being limited. But uh, if it, if it makes sense, you know, reach out. My Instagram's Matt That's probably the best way to reach me. You can just shoot me a DM. Uh, I check it all the time. Open it. I try to respond to everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, I always try to help people. Um, so if you're just if you're not in music and you have a question financially, I might not get you quickly, but I'll, I'll eventually get to it. So hit and me Matt up is DM. always down to help. I, I appreciate you taking my phone calls. All early in the morning, late at night, like, yo. Like, this I, it. Hey, this I ain't it. shit going on. I need some help. <laughs> <laughs> no, happy to help. I appreciate you guys having me, and I hope that, you know. Is there anything else you want to, you know, let the people know? No, I mean, I really just wanted to come up here, because you and I have been talking for two years about this type of stuff, and I think, like, we've always talked about the fact that there's a lack of uh, conversations around these type of things that are so important. It should, these things should be talked about in high school. Right. Facts. Um, early on, and, um, I think more conversations like this will, will help everybody. So I'm glad you guys gave me the opportunity to do it. I appreciate it. No problem, man. Appreciate you, man. It's Homegrown Radio. Chuck Dizzle, DJ Head. We'll catch y'all next time.